1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Although the athletic season has many more months and sports to go, when the calendar turns to a new year, we always like to take some time with Athletic Director Scott Strickland to address the state of the program and some other big-picture issues roughly halfway through the campaign. On today's special edition, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing questions facing both the Gators and college athletics as a whole. Specifically, the realignment and expansion of the SEC, changes to the college football playoff, the evolution of NIL money and the transfer portal, and much more. Before moving to that 40,000-foot discussion, though, we had to start at home and get his assessment of the progress he's seen for the football program in year one under Billy Napier. You
0: know, just the... the, um intentionality about putting you know structure and culture in place and really leaning into um you know building something that can be sustainable over a long period of time and you know, obviously uh we all wish the uh, uh the wins and losses had turned out differently um but the you know if you look at uh billy what he did at louisiana you know that first year uh they they were a 500 ball club and you know, but he put the pieces in place in the next three years. They were competing for their conference championship and and winning 10 plus games every year. Um, and that's, you know, uh, he uh, he obviously you could tell he studied under some, you know, someone like Coach Saban. Um, you know, it's a similar path he took at Alabama where that first year was a, a six win season. So there's there's you know, what 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 I've seen, what I've witnessed is just uh, someone who's really methodical, putting a process and program in place uh, the infrastructure building the culture and getting all the pieces lined up um and it's you know candidly it's an approach that um i don't know that that we've had here recently in in that sport you know there's such a a push to just win just win quick right and Billy's approach is is a little different than that. And and my belief is that that's going to lead to sustained su- success at a high,
1: high level. I think what you were just talking about comes back to the word patience, right? And nobody likes that. No one wants it. Everyone wants results right now, right now. I'm curious if you think the lack of patience we see in college athletics in particular is that a is that a product of social media? Is that a product of changing times? Like why does it seem now more than ever that people have to have those results immediately otherwise they're ready to throw in the, the towel on something?
0: Yeah, I don't know that's a fascinating uh, sociology type question that probably need to go over to one of our professors on campus at UF <laughs> and, and ask that up. you know social media probably does play a role in it the ability that everyone has a has a megaphone that they can have their voice heard from. And and so you get more of those joined together. Um, But at the same time, you see reports that like only 7% of our society is on social media. So I I don't, you know, I don't know. um, That's a fascinating question. Hey, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win now. And we're, we're conditioned in our country to, you know, to have things whenever we want it. Right. You know, before the Industrial Revolution, we were a society probably that that understood it took a year to grow crops or six months or whatever. Um, we, you know, we we, we want to microwave things in two minutes now and be ready to go. So it's it's uh, I'm sure that that's part of it too. But you know, the long and the short of it is, it takes what it takes to do it right. And, you know, not every situation is the same. People want to make comparisons on every situation being the same. I just fell into that, right? I was talking about what Billy did at Louisiana,
1: right? Every situation
0: is not the same. Every situation is unique and different. And, um, but where I get my confidence is just seeing the way Billy goes about what he does and how he does it and the intentionality and his thoroughness, uh, his detail, he reviews everything, you know, he evaluates everything, not only just in the program but himself personally he just he's a he's a he's a guy that, that knows how to win and he's built to, to to win and he's also patient enough to understand that uh, to win at the highest level you can't skip a step and um you're right that doesn't necessarily always play well in in our culture today but it it takes the time it takes to do it right
1: you know, I'm not sure how many college sports podcasts have uh, industrial revolution in the first five minutes. We're doing something. We're doing something <laughs> different here today. <laughs> we are a top five public university. Don't forget that. Is that is true. That is true. That is true. Um, looking big picture at football, I know a, a big part of this uh, of this picture is the new facility, the Heavener Complex. I'm curious now that it's finally open, and it was just so so long in development for you and your staff. What impact have you seen it have so far in the program, and how will it continue to shape it moving forward? Well, from a football standpoint, it's um,
0: it's hard to, it, it's hard to describe the impact. Uh, I don't have I don't have a pithy little saying, but it's 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 akin to you know going from a college dorm to uh, a penthouse apartment. <laughs> I mean, just from from a facility standpoint, I mean. Uh, a, a college dorm where you have to walk, you know, a mile to, to class as opposed to a penthouse apartment where, um, you know, where everything you need to do is right there in self-contained building. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's um, it's hard to imagine a more different, you know, um, circumstance for for a football program. The Probably the most um, poignant thing we've seen, if that's the right word is really across all 21 sports because you know we have that conjuring dining hall at the front of the facility which which feeds all 500 plus of our student athletes and the um it's interesting you know we we have uh uaa employs uh five mental health professionals wow. just to, to you know uh help student athletes should they need that and uh they have regular meetings and, and i sat in on one recently and um, the one of the feedback we got is is how healthy from a mental from a mental standpoint uh, having that dining hall for all student athletes has been, and it gives uh, gives them a chance to interact and socialize with athletes from other sports in a more natural setting. And mm-hmm. and you know the the life of a of a student athlete, you're with your teammates pretty much all the time when you're not in class. And so the chance to 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 walk in that dining hall three times a day, breakfast, lunch and dinner and, you know, hang out with athletes from different sports in a very organic, natural environment uh, has really has really been incredibly positive. And we're able to take care of not just because of some relaxing of NCAA rules, not just scholarship athletes, the walk in there as well. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, so no one feels excluded. It It's really been um incredibly popular and and has has strengthened the esprit de corps if you will around you know team florida across all 21 sports and we have all the banners of all the championships through all the conference and national championships for every sport hanging through that area and you know so it is it's kind of a it's kind of become the the, the living room if you will for the uaa and that that is probably something we knew would make you know we were thinking about that dining hall in terms of you know, we're going to be able to provide nutrition at a high level for all of our student athletes, which it's doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we thought about the, uh, the social aspect of it. And that's been really cool to see. Hmm.
1: You know, we've talked a lot in the past about the college football postseason, especially when you were on the committee talking about how it was working, what the future looked like. Now that we have the 12 team playoff starting in, in roughly a year, do you think that is the problem quote unquote solved of college football's postseason, or is there still more work to do and more reform that you think should happen down the road? Well, this is certainly a healthy step, you know, until we
0: experience it, I don't know that any of us can say, uh, you know, can point with confidence to potential issues or, or what needs to be improved. This is the 12 team playoff is incredibly helpful positive step for the for the sport the you're going to have more schools who are in the running in the mix later in the year you know two losses is not going to eliminate you you know if you have two losses in october and finish 10 and 2 you're going to be in the playoff more than likely if you're at a power five school certainly an sec school so um it's going to i think uh, incentivize people to play better non-conference schedules mm-hmm. because one loss is not going to knock you out uh, and the committee hopefully will will value this the strength of schedule part of it a little more than they have in the current environment. So, I think it's I think it's really healthy. It, to me what will be really interesting is the the first two years of the expanded playoff is actually the last two years of the original CFPs contract. Mm-hmm. And so that is going to is going to look the way it is. We're going to have quarterfinals. You know, first round on campus, quarterfinals in bowl games, semifinals in bowl games, and then national championship game at a neutral site. Um, After those first two years, it could look different because the contract is, you know, they're fitting the 12-team playoff into the original contracts. Right. Um, When those contracts expire following the 25 season, it could look even different. You could have more campus games or you could, the dates may shift. It'll be fascinating to see. And my guess is we'll look at what happens after the twenty-four season. I say we, uh, the the leadership, the commissioners will look at what happens after the twenty-four season, and that will, you know, what's good about that and what what maybe could be improved on that. My guess is will be looked at what happens twenty-six and beyond when they when they really form the the future of what the playoffs going to look like. But no, I'm
1: I'm really excited. I think it's healthy, and uh, you know, looking forward to seeing the Gators compete in it. Mm-hmm. It's always fun when you were on the committee, especially trying to find out, you know, who was your four, who are you advocating for? Uh, you are no longer on the committee, but if you had been in the room, who would your four have been? The same four that made it or would you have a, a different approach? Well, you know, I, I didn't study it, obviously, this year nearly as much as,
0: as, a, as you do when you're on the committee. So I, my, my sense is they probably got it right. Um, it's hard to argue with, uh, you know, uh, the teams that they put in there. Uh, as far as deserving it, it is interesting. it's uh, listening to some of the conversations leading up to the conference championship games, and uh, there's this sense that well, you know, a team like TCU is already in, so a loss shouldn't knock them, a loss in the conference championship game shouldn't knock them out. When a team like an Alabama or Ohio State hasn't play is not playing in a right. conference championship game, and uh, so there's this thought that a team is already there, like already in and you take them out when in fact, you know, the committee actually starts over every week, including championship week, they start over with a fresh ranking. Wow. They go through the same process. And so um, one of the uh, the things that they're supposed to wait are conference championships won. So, um, you know, once TCU lost the big 12 title game, they were just like, in my mind, like Alabama and Ohio state and that they were not a conference champion. Hmm. And so then you should evaluate them. But, you know, get, there's one of the criteria isn't conference championship games appeared in is conference championships won. And so I just thought that was interesting. I'm not saying that TCU doesn't deserve to be there. I think that they probably got it right, as I said. But um, I, I thought that debate was interesting. And, and it really it's people not understanding the process. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, it's a, it's a hard job and, and uh, appreciate the people who are serving on it right now.
1: What do you think the role of the committee is in the twelve-team playoff? Obviously, they're still there, but I imagine the job gets easier, I guess, because you have so many automatic qualifiers, or, or no? No, I think it. I think it is just as challenging, if not more so. There's, there's going
0: to be, for one thing, and this is the beauty of the the twelve-team model, in my opinion, is you have different tiers that teams want to get in, right? You want to be in the top four so you get that buy. Right. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure, which we currently have between three, four, five, and six. Uh, you want to be in the – if you're not in the top four, you want to be in the top eight so you host a first-round game. So there's going to be a lot of, of scrutiny between seven, eight, nine, and ten to see who's who's getting to host a first-round game. And then obviously, just like in in basketball and baseball and every other event, sport that we have, uh, big, large tournament. That is that is uh, filled out by a committee. Getting in is going to be important. So who's eleven? Who's twelve? Who's thirteen? And who's fourteen? Who's getting left out? And you're right. We do have, um, you know, six. The six highest conference champions are automatically in, and so directly you could have uh, a couple conference champions that are outside the top twelve, which would mean only the top ten in the rankings are getting in, plus those those two. Um, and that's just an example. You could have, you could have one, you could have all six conference champions in the top 12. So it is you know, the top 12 teams going, but the, all that's going to make for really, uh, a lot of, a lot of interest and scrutiny. So I think actually you're taking what is currently a, a large focus on one through four and you're going to have it on, you're going to have it at, you know, top four, you're going to have it at top eight, and you're going to have it uh, just getting in the field in the top 12, which, um, in, in my mind is going to make that job even more important. and and have even more scrutiny if that's
1: possible yeah i guess it makes sense thinking about the uh about march madness you know when it was 64 teams everyone argued about 65 when it's 68 69 is the so it does seem no matter where you you move the the bar there's always debate about who should clear that bar so that that does make sense um in terms of you talked about teams playing better schedules uh with the, the in the new playoff and And a lot of focus has been on what the SEC looks like going forward with Oklahoma and with Texas. And obviously, a lot of it is about what does the football schedule look like? What are the divisions? Is it pods? Um, I'm not sure how much you're at liberty to share about those conversations, um, but I know it's a question people ask a lot. What is the status that, that you can share about what the SEC looks like when it expands in a couple of years?
0: Well, I would probably just point to you know, some public comments that, that Commissioner Sankey has already made, which uh, relating to divisions where he doesn't expect us to have divisions and, and being in the room and having heard the conversations, I would it does not appear like we're going to have divisions. It looks like we're going to have one through 16, one large standings and top two teams go to our championship game. There's still debate as to whether, you know, how many conference games we're playing, uh, whether it's eight or nine. Um, I prefer more rather than less. I just think that's healthy. I think our league is really special, and and there's nothing like playing, an SEC, comp, uh, playing SEC competition, and that's not just in football. That's across the board. So uh, that still needs to be determined and, and what the rotation looks like. The other thing I will say is it's is pretty obvious that there is a huge, I would say, nearly unanimous feeling in the AD room that we need fewer permanent opponents so that we can have more rotation and see everyone more often which would, I, if, you know, I think that's good for our players. I think that's good for our fans. And, and that, that could be a really positive development. And, and, and my sense is you'll probably be able to go to, uh, whether it's eight or nine, whatever the model is, as far as how many opponents we play, uh, set it up where you can, every school can visit every other campus once within, a, at least once within a four-year period, which would, you know, be really healthy
1: who who are the the sacred cows in this situation like how much is it one rivalry each team each school is trying to protect I mean what are the what are those conversations like in terms of okay we're okay with changing this but we still have to have this game every year we still have to play this team is that really part of it? is everybody lobbying in a sense for what they think is most important to their fans and, and their school I wouldn't say uh you know that's that's
0: underlying. As part of the conversation, I wouldn't say it's a dominant part of the conversation. Uh, the, the, the mathematical fact is in order to do the schedule the way we do it, you have to have at least one permanent for everybody. And that makes sense because everyone has at least one primary rival that you'd want to accommodate. So certainly in the Gators uh, case, it's, it's Georgia, you know, and, um, you know, Alabama and Auburn, you know, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. So everyone, you know, for the most part has a primary rival. And, and the other reason that's important is uh, that Thanksgiving weekend, rivalry weekend game, if you did not have that, you'd have some some years where <clears throat> Auburn Alabama aren't playing that weekend and both of them are playing somebody else. And, and, you know, same with Mississippi State and Ole Miss and the others. And we that's not what anybody wants, right? We like that, that traditional weekend. So um, everyone will have at least one. Uh, there is some conversation about how important are those secondary rivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so – uh florida tennessee uh auburn georgia yeah, alabama lsu how important are those secondary rivalry games and that's you know where we land on that is is still to be determined the good news is if we have more rotation even if those games aren't getting played every single year uh they'll get you know you'll you'll probably see them on average every other year which is still uh much better than our current situation where if somebody's not a, on your permanent schedule, it's, it's rare that you see them.
1: You mentioned Florida, Georgia. I know that's a question you get asked a lot as well. Um, what do you see the future of that game as in terms of where it's happening? How important is it that it remain where it is, or are you open to some type of rotational schedule we've heard about? I mean, there's a lot of ideas about what Florida, Georgia could be, but w- what's your position on that?
0: You know, for, uh, for both, uh, Traditional reasons and financial reasons, I prefer it in Jacksonville. But obviously, it's not simply a University of Florida decision. Uh, University of Georgia has equal say, and we both have to be on the same page for whatever we do. Right. So, um, you know, we want to be sensitive to, to what their concerns might be. But there's a there's a, you know, decades and decades of history in playing it on that border city. You know, Jacksonville, is a, you know, butts up against the state of Georgia. There's a lot of uh, Georgia people that live in and around Jacksonville. Um, and obviously there's there's a lot of Gators as well. So there's, there's a lot of history there. Financially, the schools make more money over a two-year period playing the game in Jacksonville than, than they would in a home-and-home setting. Um, so there's financial reasons why playing it in, in, on the neutral site in Jacksonville is positive. Um, but uh, there's a reason you do contracts, right? And we've got two years left in the current contract and, and, you know, we'll take this time the next couple of years to continue conversations with both the uh, university of Georgia and, and the city of Jacksonville and figure out what's best for that game going forward.
1: Hmm. Um, I have a section devoted here to the questions. I'm sure you get asked most frequently these days, which is about NIL. Uh, and it's interesting because the last few times we've talked, we, we've kind of broached it, but it was so new There wasn't really a lot we could look at as a a strong sample size. And it is still relatively early looking big picture. Um, But it it does seem to be at the moment kind of the the Wild West in a lot of ways. Are you surprised by how, I guess, lawless, if you will, it's been? Or did it seem almost inevitable introducing something this different without having a lot of uh, guidelines, restrictions in place when it opened up? I don't think there's anyone who works in college athletics who is at all surprised by
0: what's happened. (laughs) And, and candidly, it's the reason I think there was so much resistance. Um, You know, I don't No one in college athletics worried if uh, you know, Tim Tebow, when he was a Gator, if he, if he got paid for, you know, doing a car commercial or something like that, or or Bryce Young doing the Dr. Pepper commercial, no one cares about that. Right. That Mm -hmm. kid's at that school is established. And that's what we all think of as NIL. I think there's a naive, Part of society thinks, well, that's that's perfectly fine. They're, you know, that should be allowed, which is it's hard to argue. But um, I think everyone understood that it was not going to stop there. It was going to immediately become part of the recruiting landscape, and uh, when you combine that with the the advent of the transfer portal, then it it becomes it's it's been really uh, as dynamic a, a period of change as you can imagine. And, um, in college athletics. And, and the reason it goes to that is, you know, college athletics is the only sporting entity in our country that the only way that, um, you can fill out your roster is by just encouraging people to join you. Right. There's no draft. Mm-hmm. It's not like in high school where it depends on what neighborhood you live in. Uh, you know, there's no districts that, you know, kid can only go play at the university of Florida if they live in Jacksonville, Tampa and in, in Orlando kind of. Thing. Right. So, um you know, we, everything is recruiting. Everything is based on recruiting and uh, where you have dollars and, and uh, movement of players. It's only natural that NIL is going to work its way into recruiting. And it, it did so, you know, immediately, I would say. Hmm.
1: The next question is the, the hardest one to answer. Um, how can the current situation be reined in and controlled in a way that makes sense and gets closer to the intent of NIL, which, as you noted, is you know Bryce Young getting paid to do a Dr Pepper commercial. He was already going to do probably anyway, because things that were just naturally an extension of what you're doing at that school and what your brand is. You know, um, I don't
0: think the NCAA has the ability to to enforce any rules related to NIL. Um, I could be wrong, but that's my sense is that that it's. A challenge um so to answer your question I, I think it's going to be the federal government and 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 their law enforcement agencies to enforce it and I, I don't i think it's silly to think that they would actually spend the time to do that but um short of that i don't know i don't think you can go back to it with it um, it, it we just have to learn to exist in this environment and continue to try to figure out a way to make it as positive as possible for, for our athletes at the university of Florida. Um, you know, we, we have, we've invested a, a lot in trying to create uh, a structure where our, where Gator athletes can, can benefit, uh, you know, doing it within the rules that do exist. Um, you know, we, uh, we've kind of, we have all these different, there's different ways people can access it, but we've got uh, as far as, you know, businesses or individuals, uh, there's a, you know, we started, we launched a new website, GatorsNIL.com for, you know, any fan that's interested in going to figure out how can I be a part or what, what, what does all this mean you can go to GatorsNIL.com and, and we'll have a kind of a one-stop shopping where you can see whether it's the Gator Collective or some of these, uh, marketplaces. If you're a local business person, you want to connect with a student athlete to have them, um, you know, promote your, your, your business. Um, we've tried to tie all that in one space, one place. And, um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's a continually evolving field and it's, you know, I think in time we'll all figure out what the marketplace looks like, but we're kind of in the early stages and, and still figuring that out. And, and people are going to, you know, some people are going to race through the, through the stops on and, <laughs> uh, some people are going to be a little bit more deliberate and it'll be interesting to see which ends up being the. We're going to have results for both of those so we can look back and say, right. what's the right approach? It'll be fascinating uh, to, to see what that is. Right now, it appears the people who are racing to the stop sign have had mixed results to say at best, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's, some, there's some examples out there of very public uh, schools that seem to have used NIL in the recruiting space very aggressively. And, um, you know, so far, I don't, I don't know if the results have been there to match up with what their approach has been. But it'll be interesting to
1: see as we go forward here, how it continues to evolve. When you talk about the, you know, maybe the government getting involved or some outside entity, what do you think the timeline is for streamlining this process? Is this something that in two years it's figured out? Is this five years? Is it 10 years? How long until you think this ends up streamlined in a way that makes it sustainable? You know, I, I don't think, um, Again, I, I hate to push this off. I feel like you need an economist on here
0: to answer that <laughs> question because really, it's you're talking about market forces. Because I don't think rules are you're not fixing it with rules. You know, there's there's nil is not going back in a box, right? And so it's it just how long does it take for a market to work itself out and to and for the efficiencies in the marketplace to be taken, you know, to be found, to be identified, and taken advantage of and streamlined. You know, we you've seen this in sports like. Um, you know baseball, where um, you know the analytics came to baseball, and and there were a few teams doing it and got an advantage, and pretty soon everyone was doing it. I guess you could say the same about the NBA. Everybody's doing it, and the advantages are are really minimal now because everybody's right. kind of approaching it the same way. I think we'll see a similar result with NIL over time. Mm. So,
1: okay, next episode, we're going to have an economist and we're going to have a sociologist, <laughs> at, at the very least, at the very least. Um, so the transfer portal is also part of this. You mentioned that. Um, that's sort of thing that, you know, in theory was going to be good for players, for athletes, giving them more choice. And what that's turned into is a lot of guys using it as a basically yearly re-recruit me model. Um, I mean, you have some guys who are transferring for the fourth, fifth times, which, again, I don't think was the intent of the transfer portal how can that be reformed and regulated in a way that serves the best interest of both the athletes and college athletics? Or is this like NIL where there's really no way to do it and we're sort of stuck in, in this, this spin cycle that, that we've uh, created?
0: You know, th- there, there may be other ways. The only way I can think of is to uh, make the athletes employees and collectively bargain um, their terms of employment that relate to everything not only pay but uh you know ability movement ability to move um that's really obviously a a huge step right and there's obviously advocates out there who want that but uh so far universities are not real excited about that approach um but to me that's uh when you when you talk about nil and you talk about uh, uh, transfer portal and player movement, uh, I think the NCAA is really limited because any any step they take to restrict movement, of movement for the athletes is going to be, um, they're going to find themselves in court. And um, my guess is because of the inconsistency of how those transfer uh, rules have been applied in the past, um, it would be a really challenging court case for the NCAA. So um, there may be there may be another approach. The federal government could come in and pass a law that dictates this. But uh, as I referenced earlier, that seems really unlikely. So but uh, you're you're talking about that level. uh, You know, you're having to take things either at the at the doing doing something really dramatic is what I'm trying to say. You're having to do something really dramatic to affect any kind of significant change from where we are right now.
1: Um, this may be, so these are some very difficult questions that don't have easy answers. Hopefully this one's, this one's more in your court and, and in your control, but I know a lot of people ask you about the swamp and what the, that plan looks like now that the, the Hefner complex was obviously the huge facility. That was the, the top, top priority. Where is the refurbishing, refreshing of the swamp on the docket? Uh, what, what stage are you at in terms of the progress on that?
0: Uh, we are uh, closer. I, I, I can't tell you where the finish line is, but we are, we are closer as far as kind of understanding a uh, vision. Um, you know, what, what we've known all along is we, we need to touch every single part of that stadium. It's 92 years old uh, in parts of it, the original part of it. And, um, you know, everything from, you know, list out uh, exterior aesthetics video boards, lights, sound, uh, gate entries, concourses, concessions, restrooms, uh, seat comfort, uh, ADA compliance for, you know, accessibility, um, uh, new seating products and premium spaces. And there's just a long list of things that, that uh, are on our wish list that I feel is really important that we address and tackle. And at the same time, make sure that it's still the swamp when you're, when we're finished with that. Right. And, and um, that it still has the characteristics of what's made it special for, for all these decades. So uh, it's a huge project. I think I may have mentioned this when I was on with you last time, Adam, but we've spent, the UAA has invested over $300 million in facility projects the last seven years. Wow. And the, the next round of facility projects will probably be twice as much money and will probably be accomplished in half the time. Hmm. So this is uh, you know, there's, this is going to be some bold thinking, you know, there's a hundred, this is, this is just one example in, in Ben Hill Griffin stadium, there are, are 180,000 square feet of office space, 180,000 wow. square feet in office space. Half of that's used by the UAA university uses the other half, which is basically um, old Yon hall with the old student athlete dorm on the east side of the stadium, 180,000 square foot of office space. Um, I don't know that that's the best use of this, of that stadium areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that area, that that space might, could better serve our fans on game day. So if that's the case, then we've got to relocate 180,000 square feet of offices somewhere else. So then the stadium can be um, tailored more for, for, for game day use and for our fans. Uh, But that's just one example of, there's a lot of moving parts in this. And so it's, it's, it's not as easy as saying, you know, we're going to, we're going to, Paint some paint, you know, paint some walls and, and add some handrails and call it a day. I mean, there's a lot going on here, and uh, it's it's an exciting project to work on. It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's some other things out there in the facility space. Want to uh, uh, do some renovations to the Limran facility, which is houses our track and field team and our and our volleyball team. Um, the uh, the Hathcock basketball practice facility, which is 15 plus years old, we're going to renovate it, update it. Um, do some other things with, the the track, uh, our, our track program is hosting the secs in the spring of 24. There's some, some things we want to do there prior to hosting that event. Um, if you drove, if you were to drive by, uh, uh, KDC show Presley stadium, the softball stadium right now, you'd see the, the video board is down and a new one's going up. Wow. It's significantly larger. So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of things on on the itinerary but but uh the swamp is certainly a focus right now
1: when you talk about those projects and just listed a bunch of them is there do you get a sense of completion or is it always just now we've got to do this i mean 300 million seven years there's a lot of baseball softball that there's a lot of things you've addressed that were kind of really big picture things that are done do you get to relish in that or is it on to the next because there's always something else
0: yeah i think you're always in construction planning facility mode um in this day and age to the point when you know they'll they'll there'll be a time here in the next 24 months when we sit down with coach napier and say what do we need to do to the heavener <laughs> to, to you know keep it fresh and updated and wow. so uh and again that's not because it lacks anything right now it's just the nature of what we do right and um you know, we're, we've, we've added things to, you know, we redid softball at three years ago and, uh, that's already done. had some things, uh, addressed there. Uh, conjuring ballpark is two years old and, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a year after it opened, uh, UAA added uh outfield concessions that wasn't in the, in the original deal. So, I mean, there's just, you're always, you're always tweaking and adding and, and trying to improve. And so that's, uh, uh, uaa has a great team we have great people working in that area bill Smith and chip howard and all all the people that that um, help in that space um, but it's you know we have we have meetings weekly about you know just facilities projects what's going on what's next funding how do we how do we you know how are we going to pay for these things um, so that's that's a big part of what we do
1: Couple final things for you. I know that your paths did not cross when you were at Mississippi State. You were you were gone before he came in. Um, but obviously, you know Mike Leach was a huge figure in college football, and uh, has become a, an important figure in the state of Mississippi where you're from. I'm curious if you have any any stories about your time with him, or if if he was more of a distant figure you didn't really get to interact with.
0: No, I I actually only met coach Leach one time it was it was at SEC spring meetings in Destin this past year hmm. um they have you know the way this meeting is set up you have uh um, you were in this conference area of the hotel and and you know the coaches football coaches basketball coaches ADs all are in a separate meeting room and we all come out into this common area and that's where they service us our, our lunches and and so um I was you know waiting in line to eat and and coach Leach walked up and I had a chance to introduce myself and, and visited. And I would, and that, I don't have, there's, I don't recall exactly what we talked about. I just recall him being very um, uh, chatty, right? You know, the, <laughs> the, what you always hear about him is he's, he was easy to talk to and, and very approachable. And, and that was my experience was he was, uh, uh, you know, super nice and knew of my connection back to Mississippi state. So we, you know, we, it was a nice visit, but um, yeah, he's a, He was a a unique individual uh, and kind of had an aura about him that was unusual and uh, made him stand out. And and he was comfortable. You got to respect people who are comfortable, not necessarily trying to be like everybody else. And he certainly wasn't trying to be like everybody else, not only personality wise, but how he coached the game and and the style of play he employed. So uh, really sad tragic situation. Um, you know, 61 years old, this day and age is not very old. And, uh, at the, you know, he'll, he'll certainly be missed by those who loved him and, and, uh, by those who love college football.
1: Okay. Final question for you. We always end in the same place, especially when it's this time of year, uh, we're going to the holidays. There's some time off. It's a chance to get to some things that are on, you know, have been waiting on your Netflix queue, chance to go to some movies Uh, read some books, listen to some podcasts. What are some things recently that have, uh, that have intrigued you and what are you hoping to get to soon? Well, I've, uh, I've knocked out the new season of the crown. Okay. Um, I heard it was weird. I heard it was weird. It was, uh, yeah, it
0: was, it was okay. Uh, it was different. You know, you can kind of tell they're setting up for, uh, they're at the stage, I guess, going into the, to the next season where, uh, Diana's death will occur. And so they're kind of setting up some of that, mm. you know, uh, more modern type things. The um, I've really enjoyed that series, by the way, I think that's, that's been really well done um, watching Yellowstone. I, I think, I think Yellowstone has jumped the shark. I, I think it's kind of uh, lost its appeal, but I'm, I'm still plowing through it. <laughs> um, there's a, if, if, if you're a Stanley Tucci fan, there's a show called inside man, Hmm. That I believe is on Netflix that uh, where he is a uh, he is on death row, but he is a uh, psychologist and he he uh, he has this great mind to solve mysteries. And so he has people who uh, come to him in prison and they they tell him what their their story is, their their issue. And he solves it from prison. He solves their cases from prison. Hmm. But he's on death
1: row. He's a con- he's condemned, admitted murderer. So anyway, it's- I uh, thought you going to say the one where he like, goes to Italy and just eats. That's a different- Yeah, that, that's yeah. a different Stanley that's Tucci a diff- show. This is
0: different. <laughs> this is- uh, It's only four episodes, but it's uh, it's uh, really well done inside, man. So- Low investment, i um, support that. I'm, and I'm looking forward to see the, the Knives Out. I didn't get to see the new Knives Out movie when it was in the theater. So I think it comes on Netflix sometime the
1: holidays. Mm-hmm. And uh look forward to checking it out. Glass Onion was really, really good. You um, saw it? Yeah, I saw it when it was in theaters, which was cool before it uh, before it left. Um, are you an Avatar guy? Are you going to see Avatar or are you not into that?
0: I, you know, I, I saw the original. Uh, it's I don't know that I'll go out of my way. I'm sure at some <laughs> point I'll
1: stream it. Um,
0: you know, it's basically Dances with Wolves on Another Planet yes you know, true it's, it's that story it's almost the exact same story true uh but the the visuals are pretty stunning in the original and i'm, I'm told these are the same so mm.
1: i i you know the best part of avatar is the ride at disney have you ever it done the, the disney yeah. ride yeah if you can get past the three to four hour wait it is a great ride right yeah it's a pretty <laughs> phenomenal ride uh is there anything else you haven't gotten to that you want to get to Man, that's uh, that's, that's why I have that cue. You know, that's why you just save
0: stuff. I'd have to go back and look and see what's queued up. But not, uh, there's nothing. You know, I'm I'm like uh, you know, you and I've talked about Ted Lasso. At some point, their their next season's got to come out, right? Mm-hmm. So anticipating that uh, soon. Speaking of shows that kind of jumped the shark, I was really into Peaky Blinders. I don't know if you watched that.
1: You've talked uh, about it frequently. I've n- I've never watched it, but you talk about it a lot. And they they
0: they came out with their last season. and It was underwhelming
1: um, you know, sometimes these shows hang on a little bit too long. I think yeah. that went dead as well. Yeah. I, so should I still watch the early part of it or is it like lost oh, or the negated first, the whole series? No, no. The first, first three or four seasons, really good. Really good. Okay. So I'll tell you, uh, and I may have mentioned
0: this. My wife and I have never watched Sopranos. And so we have actually, we're two seasons into it. Wow. And I know that that is like, so it's 20 years old, right? Yeah. But, um, we're trying, we're not going to do like all seven seasons and we're trying to like, you know, spend a, a couple weeks watching one season and then take a break, watch other stuff. And so we're through two seasons and um, I'm, I'm enjoying that.
1: Sounds like a good, healthy approach. Less binging, stretch it out more, enjoy it. You know, it's like a, it's like a nice meal. You don't want to just plow through a nice meal. You got to stretch it, really take it all in. It's a good approach. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, Scott, listen, thank you so much, as always, for your time. I know we we hit a lot of hot topics that Gator fans are, are really plugged into, so I know they appreciate hearing from you. And uh, we hope you and your family have a fantastic holiday. You too, Adam. Uh, all the best. And uh, thanks for what you do here on the podcast. And go Gators! And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.